Let's go. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Binge Not TV. I am Paul, and here with me today are Kyle, Luke, and Dave. We are so excited to be here covering season two of The Witcher. It's back, and we couldn't be happier. We will be covering episodes one and two titled Grain of Truth and Care Morn. And I personally thought they were amazing episodes. Um, I, lo- I just love seeing Geralt and Siri together. I mean, that's like basically it always feels like he's like chasing her. So it's whenever they're together, that's phenomenal. I don't know. What do you guys think of uh, the return of our beloved Witcher and line co of Sintra? I'll go really quickly just to give some background. Me, Luke, and Paul, uh, we have read the book, so we know everything that canonically happens in that realm. Paul has played a little bit of all the game, Paul, or just a little bit of it, most of it? Yeah, that okay. was phenomenal. Yeah, so he has the, that information in his back pocket, uh, but me and Luke are currently only, we've only finished the books. Kyle is new to this, and for my experience getting back into this, after I finished episode one, I was like, damn, I actually really missed this show. I was really excited to get back right into episode two, excited to watch episode three later tonight. So that's definitely on the plate, um, but just so excited to get the, the group back together. Yeah, it's been so goddamn long since it feels like we've got new the main Witcher content. We definitely had the movie, um, the animated, sh- not short, but the animated movie, The Witcher, uh, Nightmare of the Wolf. And we covered that. So if you are looking for some supplemental material covering that, which is a prequel to the whole series. And I'm going to be mentioning that a couple of times because we get some things that kind of connect back to the, the animated movie Which through these incredible. two episodes. It's so good. Yeah, I loved seeing yeah. those little tidbit nods to the book, to the movie. Uh, but yeah, we'll this- say if you didn't watch Nightmare of the Wolf, we will be talking about Nightmare of the Wolf spoilers. Yeah, Definitely. because, you know, they do come up in our mention. So and I want to just after two episodes, I could already pretty confidently say that this that this show is the farthest thing from like a faithful adaption to the books and i'm completely fine with it but like our book knowledge is probably going to do next to nothing in terms of foreshadowing things maybe some big high level like points we are eventually going to hit but we are so off the rails we were pretty off the rails in season one but like jesus i feel like there's just no there's no this this is uncharted territory and it's going to be kind of fun to walk through it sort of as a rook with knowledge of concepts in the world of the witcher without knowing the plot points agree and just really quickly before we get to kyle's thoughts i know you've been chomping at the bit to speak but um i just want to say that me luke and paul will not spoil anything for like since we know the book contents like we might have insights on some of the future events and we won't spoil those for anyone listening to this so it'll be strictly show talk it's nice to honestly be someone that's coming in with fresh eyes and has no idea what happens season one as someone who never read the books was a little confusing. I enjoyed it because I, I love fantasy. Actually, the reason why I haven't read these books yet is because I kind of went down the wheel of time path and then Cosmere after that. So I was slightly preoccupied with those door stoppers. But I just feel like you can tell that this season is going to be better than the first season. Mm-hmm. It just seems like such a more cohesive product, I guess, for lack of a better term, it just like it feels so much more focused and we feel so much more invested in these individual characters than kind of a little bit of the chaos of season one. Nice. So, yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> so I literally I was honestly a little bit blown away by these episodes. I was expecting it to to enjoy them, but they were honestly better than I expected. Yeah, I mean, for one thing, season two so far has been linear, where season one, it was all set up 
we were like, what is going on? Like, mm-hmm. I have no idea what is happening. It wasn't until like season f- or episode four, we were able to kind of normally put together what was going on. I know there was hints in episodes ones and two, but as like first time watching, it's like, I'm so lost. Yeah. This is real nice. It's, you know, it's taking place right after season one. And so far the episodes have just been, you know, back to back. This is what happens next. Top tier choreography and any time that henry cavill is touching that fucking sword i'm just i can't look away it's so well done and the fact they're integrating integrating more magic into this season it seems already i think through these first two episodes we've seen more that more signs from Geralt than all of season one and that's cool and i think yeah i think they're doing a bunch of video game specific nods too because the books don't talk too much about the magic he just kind of does things sometimes and they're already dropping names, which I'm pretty sure, Paul, you've said before in the past, like when he talks about Axie is like, mm-hmm. it's basically, you know, like, I guess, re- restoring stamina or some shit. Axie, and then like, yeah, it's like calming. Yeah. He and then it's like he, a calming spell. He does that freaking to skip to the end, not to skip too far ahead, but like he does do the whole lights his sword on fire. I'm assuming that might be a video game nod too, because that was just yeah. epic. I mean, so in the video games, you can use Igni which is just, it's basically like a little fire blast right in front of them. Nice. Um, um, they might not be leaning too far into it just because the use of fire magic is a prevalent theme, as we can already tell in these first two episodes. So I think they're trying not to lean into it when Nightmare of the Wolf was like, dude, Igni everywhere, just fire blast <laughs> everyone. Yeah. Um, but I do love it. it. Like exactly what you're saying. He actually used it and then, said its name and then explained what it did. That's just nice because it's nice to get like boundaries and like, you know me, I want to mm-hmm. know what the powers can do and what they can't do. Exactly. Uh, but before we start talking plot, I'm going to, anyone that's listening to our podcast, if this isn't your first time, maybe you've caught some of our coverage of wheel of time. This is the wheel of time boys right here. Mm-hmm. We are not going to, I'm going to try and make us not cover this. Like we do wheel of time where we're going scene by scene covering pretty much every important aspect of dialogue we're going to do it more from a thousand foot view because i don't think this show's meant to be as dissected closely like wheel of time will be so we we are going to get into some of the details of course and some of the cool quotes and our favorite parts and all that but we're going to try it we, there might be some things we end up skipping so apologies if we miss anything you really liked hit us up on uh you know twitter or the youtube and give us some comments that asking for you know we'll we'll continue discussions as we go through the different podcasts throughout this this season we're going to do it in hopefully four sittings two episodes each i think it's going to be an eight episode season Mm -hmm. so this is part one of four sounds good should we get right into it yeah i'm upset i was just about to say i'm kind of upset that we didn't do a season one like kind of recap because we're just coming in hot guns a blazing but Mm -hmm. i guess we start with uh the post battle of sodden hill and Geralt and Say are kind of searching around. They're just looking for Yennefer, who they, to no avail, uh, they were unable to find. I really like to say his magic here, where she was just touching the bodies of the, the dead, and she was just reliving their final moments. Like, that would just be terrifying to just watch her. It's basically watching yourself die over and over again. Kind but of. let's talk about what the fuck is going on with Say It, because, oh, true. Uh, dude, we have talked multiple <laughs> times in between season one and now. I was so confident that she was dead at the battle of sodden based on the finale of season one paul isn't that what we thought because we've had multiple conversations about her importance in later events that happened in the books and we're like oh i guess she's just not going to be there uh to be honest i didn't think about that 
to say they do kind of show her at the end of season one. I thought Triss straight up died in the Battle of Sodden in season one. Um, but you know, I really didn't have any answers because the last thing we get is Jennifer blowing everything up pretty much. So, and then it just cuts to black. She, she didn't really know what we were dealing with going forward. Um, I'm happy to say it is out and about, and her visions just seem terrible. Like yeah, you were saying, relationship like, with Yennefer is awesome too. Like how much she cares yeah, about Yennefer. I love that. And, and if you remember in season one, like Yennefer completely rejects her for half the season, even though she's still being like this motherly character to her. So it's great. And dude, what she does with, do we know his name yet? I don't remember if we know his Which name one? in the show, the black Knight. We do, right? Yeah. yeah. It's yeah, Kahir. It's Kahir. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. dude. All of the Kahir shit was just, it hit so hard for me. I loved it. <laughs> that was good to see. It's crazy because the books, they kill so many, like, at least not so. There is a lot of action. There's like 14 deaths, I think, at the Battle of Sodden Hill, Hill, where here in the show, we don't get any, I don't think, like, besides any uh, grunts and soldiers. Like, there was 10,000, I think, total cat or 20,000 total casualties around. Um, 9,000 for the good guys, 20,000 for Nilfgaard. Okay. Because of Yennefer. Yennefer basically turned the tide of battle because Fringilla was running shit using the dark magic, sacrificing the soldiers and stuff. I just really like, I guess, it's just like a super general comment going back to what Luke had said about how he likes Tissaia and Yennefer's relationship. I just like, I guess, this almost central theme of mentorship and this kind of adopted family, father, mother thing that's going on in the series. Like Yesemir and Geralt have a, have a really nice relationship. Siri and we're going, it's, it's Geralt, right? Mm-hmm. With a G, like a harder G. Okay. Mm. And then we have Tissaia and Yennefer. I don't know why. I just think it works really well. It gives nice motivations to all of the characters. And then it gives us really nice character interactions, which I thought were kind of the highlight of these episodes. I would say the character interactions, obviously the choreography, like Luke said, we talked about it Mm -hmm. pre-podcast is just absolute fire. And that's part of the problem with season one is if you're a casual viewer and you're not really digging into the details and rewatching and looking up supplemental content, you don't realize how much time actually passes from when Yennefer is first discovered as like the disfigured half elf. And then she's raised to the status of like a mage. She goes through all of her trainings and all that. There is a lot of freaking time that happens, like decades that happen. The only which, time you get which a clear, means that the only time you get a clear assumption of it is when Siri is literally a baby, like not even born yet. And now she's like, you know, a teenager. So like that's the 13 year gap. And at least that, that's part of the time but yeah that's yeah. just part of it like that's the only time we get a clear like visual of okay this amount of time has passed where everything else is like could be hundreds of years yeah that's why like you just have to assume there was so much time for growth between to and yennefer that kind of gets off screened and they do a good job of showing you that but you have to understand that there was a lot of time in season one that you might have missed if this is only your first time watching I, don't, I feel like the scenes, speaking obviously just for myself as a casual viewer, I thought they gave an, us enough in season one to kind of explain why she's so upset looking for her okay. in this. I mean, for me, it was totally believable. Although the first thing I noticed was just to say as a babe, I thought it was nice yeah, to, to see her face again. But I, they fucking, they do it, I think, maybe three times. But this is like the opening to the first episode with like the wide shot that we like zoom in to like exactly where we want to be where like it looked like kind of cgi but not i for i loved it i thought it was so cool because <laughs> they do it i think two or three times yeah maybe just for the traveling scenes the camera work in the show is unbelievable i mean at the season one the, the fight with the between Geralt and the striga the behind the scenes shots of 
what the cameraman had to do was like f- basically following them, like falling through f- the floor, just like they were. It's insane. And they're like, I mean, stuntmen. It, yeah, <laughs> it definitely shows in, you know, already, especially in the second episode towards the end. Um, but we'll get there. But yeah, Kyle totally agree. The camera work is mm-hmm. phenomenal. Yeah. I just, it, it just feels almost like a more expensive, like cared for show almost than it was in season one. It definitely does. And I think Henry Cavill's a huge part of it. Like he's a, they say, I forget what I saw somewhere on Twitter, but basically when he's on set, he's a walking witcher encyclopedia. That was, that was Freya Allen. Yeah. The, the actress who plays Siri, she was like, yeah, we'd be on set. And, uh, you know, Henry would say, yeah, I think we should use this line from Blood of Elves where Geralt says blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm, yeah. And he's like, oh my God. He, he just like recite that from memory. <laughs> That'll, uh, That'll be me playing Ellen Venture in the Mistborn movies. Oh, my God. I oh, want wow. it so badly. <laughs> let's, let's get that to happen. That'd be amazing. But hold on, Kyle. This is a question for you because I don't know how good of a job they did in season one besides making it like Easter egg to book readers. But after Tessa goes through the whole battle and stuff, she ends up going to the medical tent or medical area of, of all the survivors of the Battle of Satin. And we get a couple of named characters here from season one. So we obviously saw Triss Marigold, who Paul mentioned already thought we thought she was going to die. Um, she's also Ramilda Vane from Harry Potter. So, and then uh, we have to say a talking with the other two mages. Do you know anything about them? I know they appeared in season one, but do you know their names? So I don't remember what their names are. I know that the, um, the, I guess Persian man with mm-hmm. the, the nice mustache and the longer hair. I remember his fight with the black Knight and that mm-hmm. he was not actually on our side. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I don't remember exactly what his name was. So that dude is, and then Fringilla's uncle. Okay. See, now that you said that, that sounds so familiar (laughs) and uh, it's such a made up name, but it does fit him for some reason. So cool cool. name. Yeah. It's a cool name. Love it. And then I Fringilla's uncle, I guess that is same thing with him. He looks familiar. I remember him from season one, but wasn't, there was no way I was going to be able to guess his name. I honestly forgot for Fringilla's uncle was a character. I just, I was so focused. Like, I don't think he's the character in the book. So I was like, he's not, yeah, he's I was like, just Who is a this guy? council member. And he ends up sending Fringilla to Nilfgaard as like the emissary. Like she was going to be in their politics. He's in the brotherhood. I yeah, yeah. He is in the brotherhood. But he is I a think seat we, on the council. If that's it for to say, we should just skip to the Kahir thing. And what do you guys think about that? That was fucking wild. So Kahir is after the battle is captured by, the brotherhood and to say it has been chomping at the bit to talk to him because one, she's already pissed that supposedly Nilfgaard had killed Yennefer. And so she is just going in there looking for information and she holds, she does not hold anything back. She's doing this mental torture where she like kind of just puts her fingers to his head and just makes him just, it's basically like the Sukuyomi. It sounded like from fucking Naruto where it's just like an infinite time of just torture and pain. And Kahira is just, She's like, I'm going to torture you so much. You won't even be able to scream. Like, it won't even be at that level yet. And it's just like, it honestly, it reminded me a little bit of Gojo when she's saying that, like, you can't feel anything. You can't see anything, like all that kind of stuff. Just reminded me of, of what he puts people through. expansion. I just was like, obviously I don't know anything about the magic. I didn't know we could do these kind of things. And she just kind of stuck her fingers inside his head. Mm Mm-hmm. The magic, and I was like, what the fuck? I mean, this is all is unexplored territory for us, too. I mean, you said you didn't know about it. We probably didn't know about it either. It's I a mean, super soft magic system, like, it, and it never really gets clarified, I guess, until the video games give Geralt some clarification. But the Witcher magic is so 
much simpler than what the mages got going on. Mm-hmm. So it never really mm-hmm. needs to be touched on unless we're getting it through like Yennefer's perspective. But they are dude. leaning into in season two the rules of magic a little bit more, like with chaos. I feel like they taught us that in the beginning of season one, never really touched on it again, just kind of used powers whenever. Here, like when they're talking and saying Fringilla is basically leading Nilfgaard to say, said, like she ignores all rules of chaos. So they are already leaning into that, and we get more into it. A little bit later. That covers to, to go back to Kahir, just to say what you guys were saying, you know, to say literally said, wipe away his memories and knowledge and leave him alone and helpless in the eternal darkness in his own mind. And it's like, that sucks. Fuck that, dude. I love to hate Kahir right now. I just think he deserves all the torture in the world based on his season one actions. And this is, it was good to see. It felt satisfying. Exactly to what I was going to say is that I was so happy to see him get tortured for putting Siri through everything that she had gone through in that first season. And Kyle, this is specifically for you. At some angles, he looks so much like my man, John Murphy from the hundred. Like you'll... <laughs> Like he's got this when he's got his like hair slicked back a little bit. So if that ever, you know, just keep keep a lookout for that. He has such a unique look to him. Like I, I, I don't think I've ever seen anyone that looks like John Murphy. He, <laughs> yeah. he also kind of looks like I mean, doesn't actually look like him, but reminds me a little bit of Matt Smith, who is one of the doctors from Doctor Who, who's gonna play Daemon Targaryen in House of the Dragon. Just one of those people that, yeah, they have such like angular faces that mm-hmm. no one fucking looks like them. Yeah. yeah. I like uh, him as a villain, Andrew. though. Oh, like yeah. Andrew from yeah. real time. <laughs> yeah. he, he doesn't look like super evil, but he looks believable enough where like it's like a combo of charisma and evil. I don't know. I like him as a character. I yeah. think it was, it, it's, I don't know if anyone deserves <laughs> what the fuck happened to him, but <laughs> did you catch that line to say I had where she said like, Hey, it's not in my nature to be cruel. Mm-hmm. And then goes into that. I was like, Oh my God. All season one, you were so cruel to all of the like young. I almost said eyes to die. The young <laughs> mages at Aratusa. I think like, she was just saying it just for shits and gigs. Like she, yeah, she was definitely a not kind person. Definitely a cruel bitch. All right, so that covers it from the Tissaia side of things. We want to get into just the Geralt and Siri. Yeah, I think we go quick. through Geralt and Siri because the whole beginning of them, their stuff is it's pretty cookie cutter, just catching back up. Like we yeah. can really kind of skip ahead mostly to them getting to the city of Novellan. Yeah, it was just really cool. So Siri is taking, uh, or Geralt is taking Siri to Kyra Morin, and he's talking more. He's telling Siri that he's more. She is just more than just his destiny. It's going to be bigger than that. And also briefly talks about the Witcher history, which we saw in nightmare of the wolf so that was a cool nod to that mm-hmm. and they arrive at this random household in the uh, the woods that well it wasn't random Geralt knew the area very well and was like i have a friend that we can we can stay at and it turns out to be Navillain, who is a beast literally that's what he is he's just really cool he's also our boy Tormund from game of thrones so i fucking loved seeing it but at the same I, same time i didn't because spoilers he had a shaved beard and that was weird mm-hmm. did not like that uh just want to jump in for one second kyle i don't know if you know this but there's so many um ex- like unique takes on classic fairy tales littered yep. throughout the witcher stories ask make him guess well this one's kind of obvious of what it's really a take on right like do you the the classic fairy tale story do you know what this is i mean is- it he reminds me of like the beast from beauty and the beast exactly but, that's pretty much okay. what it is and like his powers and stuff like that like there is like all the princesses and the towers kind of thing going on like there's all these stories that they're twisted to be more grim dark and fit into the witcher world so if he reminds you of the beast it's because it's pretty much copied from that 
Mm-hmm. I honestly, I like that a lot. I feel like there's a lot of interesting stories to be told that way. And then mm-hmm. putting it into this setting and kind of the more fantasy realm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of down with that. And also, I just yeah. feel like when journeying from the Battle of Sodden Hill to here, just Geralt and, or I'm sorry, Geralt and Siri <laughs> riding, like Paul obviously played the video games. We know a lot of like RPG video games, it's a lot of travel. It just felt almost like it was a cinematic scene from the video games. I really liked it. I thought the the kind of scenic shots yeah. were really nice. We yeah, we kind of skipped over that. I honestly want to go back though because I loved it. Just them on the road. First of all, seeing them together, I said it before, phenomenal. Um, but just their conversations, like yeah, I sleep like shit too. Like he wakes up, she's like, I heard you don't sleep at all. He's like, yeah, you know, makes for less nightmares. Like just that shit is so good. Mm-hmm. I love how they just are already, you know, clicking back and forth. Um, also just learning. Like, I, I think that's for the first time you guys learn, like witches don't really sleep. They just like meditate. You find and- out more about series convictions through the, that talk too, like about how she hates the black knight in her head, AKA Kahir, who's being tortured by Tasea. Yeah. Uh, she also asked him about the law of surprise um, because they did have that conversation. Like, why would you even do that? You know, because I saved your father from your grandmother, which is hysterical. But he kind of said, like, hey, I had no choice. I didn't want to. I was there. It, it makes it so it's not weird because, you know, why wouldn't Siri hate this guy that just mm-hmm. you know, supposedly called dibs on her? Um, <laughs> so, so I liked how they basically go through their relationship and then go through what Siri can do next because she's like, I want to go home. And he's like, well, you obviously can't go home. You're just going to be hunted. She's like, well, we have friends in places like Skellige. And Skellige is the coolest place in the games. I loved it. It was so fun. And Geralt saying like, well, first of all, you can't go there because you're just going to get sold off to somebody who wants your throne. So she's now like a target from Nilfgaard, but she's also a target from all these other kingdoms that just want to gain her power of Sintra. So basically, Geralt saying, hey, like, you have enemies everywhere. Just stick with me and you'll be safe. But I'd love to mention Skellige because Skellige Isles are fucking so cool. That's awesome. I love the take on Novellan here, too, because I think in the books, he was a little bit more harsher. Like, he was a little bit more mean to Geralt when they first meet. Like, they don't have this years of relationship in, in the books. So it was really cool seeing Tormund just being really, like, happy and just accepting of the fact that he's... Tormund. Oh, sorry. Oh, my God. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. That's so funny. But Nivellan like he just has this spirit where he's like he's accepted already being the beast and that he'll never find you know this person that will uh unlock the curse from him and it was really cool and you know we get into the house and he's able to just command every object like the beast in the in the fairy tale he's able to command all the objects in the house and can just make things happen that was really funny dinner's plopping on the table and he's just making jokes yeah like. he was so cool i li- i didn't expect to like nivel in this much in in the show i feel um, like him was a bit of a roller coaster because it was in the beginning obviously the look shocks you because he looks like a monster but then i guess outwardly of in the show it's torment so it's like oh he's got to be a good guy like you gotta like him and then he's cracking jokes so it's like okay and then him and siri are talking and it's like oh like what's good with this guy and then because i even wrote down like okay like 
I'm kind of starting to doubt like what's good with him. And then they play the drinking games. I'm like, oh my God, he's such a nice guy. Like I was, I was upset at myself for doubting him. And then the whole shit comes out. And then I was like, oh my God, I'm devastated. And then the end comes and I was like, oh, now I kind of like him. Like I get it. (laughs) Yeah. It's such a roller coaster. What makes you start to betray him is you hear the scampering on the, in the root on the roof. And he's like, oh, it's just a cat. Don't worry about it. And then Siri's like, oh, well, I thought cats didn't like witchers. And he's like, oh, dodge the question. And then he's being he yeah, suspect. Let's put on a show. And Geralt's like, eh, I thought you said you were cursed to live alone. Um, and we might as well just kind of cover what happens. Um, yeah, he kind of tells the backstory real quick. He was trying to impress his father. Well, the backstory of when they first met was when he was trying to kill. What was it? It was. It wasn't the Verns. A, it was the Verns. It was the Wyverns. It was yeah. the Wyvern. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he went in, fell into the Wyvern pit. Geralt ends up saving him, and then gives the head of the Wyvern to Nivellin, and just says, "Hey, go impress your father." And he's saying, "You know, Geralt is a big softy, and that's what we're seeing now because he doesn't show emotion. He doesn't do anything." But he is really down, just kind of a good witcher. The- we'll talk more about that after the kill in the end of the scene, because I have some thoughts to, comment, to piggyback off what you're saying there. And then to go later on to explain why he's like this, he said he was with a gang, ended up destroying the temple of the lion-headed spider. And at the end, we learned and actually raped the priestess and you know before she killed herself i don't think they say it in the show but they do they, they, they say like literally before the priestess kills herself she mm-hmm. put a curse on uh niv and said you know you're fucked something something to do with blood and love that was um just you hate to see it because right now he's such a good guy but back in the day clearly a scumbag and that's just mm-hmm. That shit's just, it sucks. He was at a dark point of his life, but, you know, he seems to be doing well, at least for the most part. Like I said earlier, he's just accepted his, um, his aloneness, unfortunately. So yeah, the curse like- kind of, the curse just goes into him kind of being stuck in his own house. And that's kind of why he can control, like, shit, just make shit appear. The house is supposed to reflect his emotions. So they go into it a little bit in the books, like, the windows and doors opening and closing, that's supposed to represent Nivellin's anger of somebody approaching and coming into his house. Um, so it's kind of like an extension of himself mm-hmm. in a sense, which is pretty cool. That's really cool. Wow. He dropped some good knowledge on us too, like pretty much end game kind of stuff where he's starting to say that he thinks the world's starting to end. He's telling Geralt like more monsters are popping up and all this shit. And it's good to see this stuff that because it happens also in episode two with Francesca's whole storyline when they when they're reading the prophecies and stuff about like the world ending. And I don't think we got much hints of that in season one, but that's like good setup for whatever's going to happen, like way, way down the line. If, you know, high level world threats and stuff. And then he also because this this gets intro through him talking about the wild hunt. Um, Novellan said that he's been seeing skeletal right skeletal riders on the um horizon at nights and stuff like that and siri says like oh i've heard of them my grandfather calls them the wraiths or something like that so that's like a legend like shit's starting to happen in the world and we're slowly getting that trickle of information yeah and i really like this part too because after uh Nivellen and Geralt do the drinking game with throwing daggers which Nivellen is cheating in um, Navillan is visit like visit series and they kind of discuss monsters a little bit you know he's talking about how Yes, there are monsters that are just only there for killing people. But like, what what does that make? How does that make you any different from what they're doing? Like humans, if anything, are worse than monsters because like they build each other up and just to 
built like break them down that yeah, that's like what Verena was saying yeah there's so you're like really... well you're a monster monsters do bad things to humans Verena hit kinda... with, well humans do bad things to everybody and you can kind of see the the doubts throughout the episode and maybe it'll even be touched on in later episodes that siri you know is really having her doubts of you know what is right and what is wrong monsters and humans like what is Geralt to her even in this point if she like this dude just comes in sweeps her off her feet and she's supposed to go into it like you know there's it's a it's a dark world is what he was getting at there um yeah he was also going on saying monsters are just kind of a vague definition but the way he sees it monsters are made by deeds horrible deeds that cannot be undone mm-hmm. his he became a monster you know when he destroyed that temple and raped the priestess and exactly and then after that of course we get introduced to the actual monster of the house that's not a cat it's a bruxa and it's i didn't expect it to look like that to be honest it, it had a human form at first it looked like a just this girl and it was very spiderish movements. It was very creepy. Did not like it at all. Dude, I thought it nailed what I had in my head. If really? I'm being honest, I it was so when it changed good. into the bat. That was what I was like. Okay, yeah, that's what I was expecting. It was an amazing combo. I think of I'm assuming of acting and editing. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like the, the very quick movements. Mo- yeah, the quick <laughs> movements. Like obviously the sounds he wasn't making, but he, obviously she was acting some of it, which I thought was. Just the body language was so believable. I thought mm-hmm. she was so unbelievably creepy. Yes. I, it was like the exorcist is just fucking crawling out of the window. I was like, oh, my God. If this is, yep. if my room was dark and I was by myself, I would have been freaking out a little bit. Siri know? handled that very well. Yeah. <laughs> she is so funny because. I love it. I like love If it. I got woken up by that, I would freak the fuck out. Oh. And you would think like some intelligent part of you would try to get away or something. But yeah. then when Geralt and. Uh, the Bruxa it is, right? Mm-hmm. When they start fighting and Siri just like won't listen to Geralt and tries to get involved. And it's like, why are you trying to get involved? <laughs> like, get the fuck out of there. She has well, grown a lot, though. There, there's been multiple lines between the first two episodes where they're like, oh, so you don't scare too easily. She's like, yeah, I watched my whole house, my own home and my family burn down. Like, you know, it's, it's going to take more than scary stories, but like to wake up with that in front of you and still be cool. You know, it's got to speak to her character. I also like how I guess kind of at the same time, it's more um, when Novellan is telling her all the stories and shit. When Geralt goes outside to like secure the property and he's just complaining about Siri to Roach. Loved I it. thought that was yeah, that was a nice little scene too. His I relationship just, with Roach is unbelievable because he just humanizes Roach so much, and he's just like his only like like focus point because like he hates being around Yasker. Siri is clearly driving him insane. Like he has no wins. That's his outlet. That's just where he goes to complain. Mm-hmm. Um, and this scene was cool because he does see the footsteps in the snow um and just to jump back to before they even got to here they were on the road still they saw that coyote or lamb or whatever it was it was a dead animal Geralt literally gets off his course cuts a piece of its meat off and eats it and it's like what the fuck are you doing i loved it though because that's exactly kind of what you do in the games like you look for clues you look for hints you look for traces or, or tracks or anything and then like you'll use the process of elimination to figure out what you're hunting like you walk up to a dead c- corpse you literally inspect it and be like oh okay well it probably died this way from talons coming in or like it's it's a little scene but it just felt like we were actually in the game playing mm-hmm. and it's That's phenomenal and then to go to this you know he does see the footsteps in the snow and it just kind of disappears 
doesn't really understand what's happening yet. And then later on, when he goes back down to the village, the nearby village, which was our opening scene in that damn bucket. Did you mm-hmm. see that bucket just fucking hitting that? It was creaking nonstop, but it was actually a good tool to help us differentiate between like the manor and this village because everything's covered in stone. Mm-hmm. But Geralt does go down, sees more footsteps in the dead bodies, and he has more footsteps that disappear. He's like, oh shit, it can fly. And so he just rushes back. That's when he rushes back and then he comes in and he sees it eating Nivellin at the neck. And you're just like sitting there like, what the fuck? Like, what is going on? I was blown away by that. I mean, Mm. my note is just it's sucking Nivellin shit because I I was because I was like, I don't know what's actually (laughs) happening right here. I couldn't tell if it was on purpose or not because he wasn't really fighting it. So that seemed like a little bit of a red flag, but the the battle that comes right after it is so intense that I kind of forgot about it a little bit. Let's talk about it a little bit. <laughs> Dude, the screams are amazing. Yeah. And just Siri is still trying to protect Verena or whatever her name is, but Geralt's out there just anytime Geralt's doing shit, just just follow him. He knows he's like the guy. He's he's just he knows and it always works out like you think he's like taking the villain's love but it worked turns out like the villain was actually letting her murder everybody so it's like these two, multiple layers and basically what i what i find is whatever Geralt decides that's usually ends up being the morally correct way he to says go that at the end of the episode it's it, just like if i say run you run if i say jump you jump like everything i'm gonna say is gonna be the right thing to do and that's why it's this is such a good episode to intro into season two while not a lot of main plot things happen it's so important especially for me to have siri see Geralt doing all this stuff and like i just did that little spiel right there like now she really knows that siri doesn't know shit Geralt knows a lot of things and like sometimes you just have to do what you think is morally correct and like follow the witcher codes and stuff and it usually works out like that so and also seeing him like handle shit combat wise to know what the potential for like a trained witcher is like that's really good for her to see because you know Garrett was doing this all last season but now like she was never around and didn't really understand how strong this fucking guy is and she saw and, his magic and stuff so and the effects of the elixirs too i mean she yeah. got startled at first you know he takes it at after he runs into her room and is like get out of here and he takes it immediately and, and when he turns back around the makeup is just phenomenal so, so good cool. i love it the contacts the black contacts that uh, henry cavill puts in which i don't know if you guys heard but in season one he almost went blind oh my because God. he had the contacts in to give him the like the yellow witcher eyes and he was in a scene where there was just a bunch of dust in. And he was like, no, 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 I can handle it. Keep filming, keep filming. And then the doctor was like, you could have lost your eye if you kept going. Oh, my God. So Henry Cavill's Cavill just a man. Yeah. Thank what a God loss that would have been. Yeah, oh, my God. Real. And he would have like, kept going. This whole scene is just combat, so there's not a lot we can really say. But to point out, just some of the most badass things ever are just after the second or third swoop of, of the monster going up into the air and like, he like just lines up with his back to the monster and the monster comes in and he just fucking like just Dips. shoves the sword backwards and cuts him. Oh my God. And that triggers the whole final fight where, Neve- where he's about to, I think Siri's about to die. Then the villain saves the day. Mm-hmm. And then she turns around and she's trying to fucking like just, suicide with Nivellen and then Geralt just cuts the fucking head off doesn't even kill the Bruxa who's still telepathically talking to Siri so much good shit happened in like that span of like five minutes like it was <laughs> such a good end to episode one of season two what Kyle was saying like Siri what the fuck are you doing like she literally 
ran to this like naked woman's body on the ground to put a jacket over it after she just watched it like dislocate its jaw like a foot yeah. and scream at Garrow and try to like the body of a bat. Like why, why are you doing this? Paul and sexy that's what, scene? No. No, no sexy scene. Titties though. Uh the, I do like I was titties, surprised. Did we get titties in season one? Oh yeah. Oh, why are you serious? Yes, hits, I don't dude. Remember. I don't Episode remember. four. Like, it's Kyle's Zoom name right oh, now. Yeah, true. <laughs> oh my god, you're stupid, dude. That's uh, I should yeah. just assume that anytime we have a genre like this, that we're getting titties. But series actions led to her being the hostage. Uh, with you know, Verena ended up taking her and saying, "I'll rip her throat out." Mm. And that's when, uh, yeah, Neville in with the spear. And this was straight out of the books. This was like perfect, like word for word, like her turning around mm. and pulling herself farther into the pole, going for him. Uh, Geralt chopping the head off. Like it was literally exactly how it happened in the books. <laughs> it was and awesome. the scariest I, part of the entire episode, Tormund without the beard. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> All caps. No beard Tormund. <laughs> but I the <laughs> the scene I guess was supposed to be very emotional with her climbing down the sphere. But the only thing I kept thinking about was what that looks like from Geralt's perspective of just, <laughs> just these titties, but like the back of her head, like just like slowly yeah. moving away from him. Like I just couldn't stop laughing thinking about it. We do get the words that the um, Verena loved Navellan, and that's what canceled out the curse. Which you know, tears, tears in the chat. You know, that was really sad, sad moment that was for a sure. Phenomenal line where he's like, "Love and blood, they both possess a mighty power. Mages have racked their brain over it for years, and have only come up with you know one thing: true love." to lose a true love, which in this case, that's what it was. Mm -hmm. And just one little detail that I loved when the Brooks went up in flames after it got decapitated, the snow melted where her body went up in flames. And I don't know. I just like that. They actually put that in the show. It's a little detail that a lot of people would just like pass by. Mm -hmm. Not they our care. Paul though. Paul caught that. Paul so, caught it. Someone made that decision and hoped that someone would catch it, and you just I respect did. it. Hell I just yeah. Also, shout out Henry Cavill's forearms for wielding. I don't even know what that sword weighs, but it can't be light. And just him swinging it like it's fucking nothing. Like it looks like Luke said, the choreographs of the. I think The Witcher does this just m better than most fights because it's a. There's an element of like superhumanness to it where he should be able to swing a sword that fast with his kind of strength and speed. So I just really, I think they do an excellent job of blending it to a point where it does look superhuman-esque and not so slow and everything. I don't want to ruin it too much for you, but most of the time when he's doing those fast like action scenes, it's actually a Shut half up. sword. No, it's oh, actually okay. like, it's like the bottom half of the sword, the hilt, and then like half of the blade. And I then asked, they CGI in the top half of the blade. Later. I asked Luke, I was like, is that a real sword? Like, there's no way he's fucking wielding that as fast as he was. But it's that's no, actually I'm, a really cool tip. That's a really cool, cool trick. That's not all the time, though. I, I am positive that he does flick that full sword around every once in a while. Mm -hmm. And that's why he's and, massive. As someone who knows literally nothing about sword fighting and what it would actually be like, it just looks very fluid. It, mm -hmm. Everything looks very natural and real. And I think they use slow motion so well. It's not all the time. It's sparingly, but it, it hits in the moments that it does. Mm -hmm. And like when he does the, the final, not the final move, but the move where he kind of sticks the blade up behind him. Like that kind of happens in a little bit of slow motion, unless I was like blacked out and so focused that it was real speed, but like <laughs> no. time slowed down for me. But I thought that was a really nice touch to that. So suggestion for us to continue forward here. 
I say we just break the bounds of episode one and two and just go through Yennefer's whole thing here. And then we'll just flow through Yennefer's storyline continuing into the next episode, like that bucket. Yeah. Because no, like th- basically nothing happens with Yennefer in this episode. And I'm pretty surprised about that because I feel like she is such a good face of the Witcher because well, she's fucking beautiful and she's a great actress and she's just a badass. So I was surprised she was in episode one for so little. But, you know, she's just caught. It's the post Battle of Sod. She's caught by Fringilla and the Nilf Guardians. She's got her uh, sea stone cuffs on. Um, what's it called? Um, sea stone. Demeridium. Yeah, Demeridium. So that blocks out magic. She can't use any of that. Um, and she's obviously just like fucking pissed and calling out for Joe, like, yo, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you're just, you care more about this, this, this country you're representing the mages circle on more than the mages and we get a little bit of a humanized humanized side of fringilla that i wasn't expecting because she was so like pure dark at the end of uh, season one and Mm -hmm. i i really enjoy that they tried to make her a little bit more gray because that needs to happen she can't just be a pure dark character something i picked up in these two episodes is that those two are so opposites like anytime one of them says anything the other will usually follow with the opposite statement right after or like and if one of them asks for help for the other you know they're just so quick to not give it it's just mm-hmm. they are literally yin and yang for me yeah and like luke said a lot of this show is kind of untouched ground in the books and this is part of it. Like, we have no idea. Well, like, we didn't get any of the Battle of Sodden in the books either. That was a battle that just kind of happened. We skipped over free, it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so it's it's really cool because, you know, this that's things I've wondered. Hey, I wonder what Yen was doing here and in between there, where, mm-hmm. where she was. And, you know, I'm not going to say this is book canon, but this is a really cool story that, like, could I could definitely get behind. And I just love that. You know, she, Yen is such a like complicated character, obviously that we get from season one, and the first word she says both episodes is "fuck." Well, she I just did. wakes up. She just wakes up. And she's like, "fuck." fuck. <laughs> it's, I started cracking up. I'm like, I waited years for you to be on screen again, new content. And we just get her just like, "oh, this sucks ass." I'm just so blinded by how hot I think she is that I just love every mm-hmm. second of her on screen. She's been getting her ass kicked. Yeah, she has. Well, for I, right for a reason. Because yeah, I, I'm just saying it, but it feels like it's just been like the worst hangover continually. Like she yeah. just wakes up from getting her ass kicked and is feeling terrible, and then something happens, and then she gets knocked out again, and then she wakes up again from getting her ass kicked, and it's like, oh my fucking god. And that second knockout that you're referring to is the end of episode one, where she, where all the Nilf guardians get killed. And then the elves steal Frangilla and Yennefer and take them alive. And then that pretty much is the cold opening, I think, of, of episode two. Yeah, I Kyle. literally couldn't, like, my note I said, I can't think of things to type quick enough to describe what's happening. <laughs> the end of the episode was insane. I was like, dude, is this a monster? I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Uh, and you just see, like, the last one is a little bit slow mo- motion, like you were saying. And you can see the blade tied to a rope and you just yanked back. I wish. Can't prove this, but my I mean I can, but you know, you could call me out on it. But the last note I have, I was like, that has to be Francesca and the elves. I swear to God. Just there's a reason I thought that, and it was the wrong reason, but it turned out to be correct. So it all worked out. And I fucking love Francesca in the books. I think she's such an intriguing character. So I'm so glad that we're getting like good time with her early in season two she might be a mainstay for a while let's do it with episode two where they they wake up in 
the cart and they're being taken to a similar place to Aratusa. It was a place built by elves. We get introduced back to Philavandra, who we've seen in Nightmare of the uh, Wolves, which is great. And season one. And in season one. So we get him back and he's taking them to the Queen of the Elves, Francesca. Just jump back a little bit. I loved how when Yen wakes up in the fire and she's like, this is all you can conjure up. Like when Frangilla had her still prisoner way back when she was like, yeah, this is all you can conjure up. And Frangilla saying, I'm not like you. I'm not going to waste chaos on, you know, frivolous nonsense. And like I said, they're leaning more into this, you know, magic use of chaos is an actual like a mm-hmm. uh, commodity. It's something, it's a resource that you need. I, it's weird how they don't show it. Like, I don't know. I assume Frangilla just wakes up every morning and just like kills a bunch of puppies mm-hmm. and uses that chaos just stored up in her for the rest of the day because they don't really show her and that they were all like you got to take something from take life from something destroy something to create something so and Kyle if you didn't know I think we probably have told you in the off season of Witcher oh, yeah I like that term uh I that, that's just a <laughs> that's just a completely made up concept from the books like you don't need to drain life from something to use magic which was like a huge outcry from the book readers from season one when Yennefer's being taught. You need to like steal the life force or something to output magic in some way. I mean, it's something we just got to live with because like, they established that rule. But so again, that's uncharted territory. Yeah, I guess it kind of lends itself to criticism because of what Paul just said. Like if yeah. that's the route they were going to take with it, I'm sure that book readers were probably brought that up of like, are you going to show this every time mm-hmm. that they need to use the magic of them just draining some type of life? So you also, when they were around that fire, they got mention of Emir, you know, the mighty white flame, the king behind Nilfgaard. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Phil, we get a cool perspective here from Francesca, like, Phil Evangel said, you know, these two could be of use to you rather than just killing them. But Francesca is really just like, now you should have just killed them at the moment you got them. They really don't have any use for us. And we find out that she's been having dreams of this person, this thing called the white robed one, which has given her the ability, I guess, to become the queen because Phil Evangel has not had these dreams of the uh, white robed one. And in this scene, we also get a uh, discussion about how there's a scarcity of resources for the elves. There's really, the elves are talking about how much there's a lack of resources, you know, food is scarce. Um, the queen will not let them, but everyone's saying the queen will not let them down since she sees the white robed one. So there's a little bit of hope there, but the elves as usual in these kind of genres of movies are very oppressed and they don't have much going for them. Super anti-human. And mm-hmm. do you yes. remember Philip Andrew from the first season, Kyle? He was the, he was the elf. It's a, kind of like not that super important in season one, the scope of it, but he he basically captures Geralt and Yasker and he's almost, oh, he's, yes, he's going to kill them. Remember, it's the devil. Yes. There, there's the mm-hmm. devil in the bush and like they find out yep. it's that yes. goat person. So that is straight up from the books. And also Phil Evangel has some scenes in the in the prequel movie. So it's like good that he is a super consistent character that they're bringing everywhere. Um, but one of the funniest lines is when uh, Yennefer talks about like oh you're the Phil Evandrel and like she starts saying some things and she's like from the songs blah blah, blah. and he goes that fucking uh, bard because he knows <laughs> it's Yasker yeah in yeah. the books Yasker starts going around talking about Phil Evandrel and like saying these songs so that was a really good like little throwaway line that damn bard and his tunes yes. and they're like they're like hey like I I thought you were supposed to be the king in those songs and he's like well <laughs> you know I was but you know 
when I failed to get them Calanthe, they turned to Francesca because, you know, she was having these visions. I saw Francesca on a lot of the, like, promotional art. And obviously, I mean, I don't remember her from season one, so I, I don't think she's in season one. So I was interested to see what happens with her. I, I was honestly a little bit shocked that it happens this early and she's played such a big part in episode two. But I really liked the, well, A, her introduction and when she just knocks Fringilla out, which I thought was sick because yeah. we kind of have started to not learn, but just get used to the fact that Frangilla is really strong. We know that Yennefer is powerful as well. Mm-hmm. And she just walks into the the tent and gets knocked out with her just like flinging her fingers, but yeah. also just the connection that all three of them are having these dreams. Like Dave yes. mentioned the, the white robed one. Yen has her dream. We know Frangilla has her dream. And I just was kind of shot pleasantly surprised how early the three of them are just connected and how big Francesca is in the story. And she's also supposed to be like the most beautiful creature in the world basically like the queen of the elves like it's very uh political it gets political with her and like the elves factions and stuff like that because Geralt like, she's really wants to stuff. smash in the books <laughs> Geralt really wants to smash but never does but uh, she's she's an amazing character <laughs> we I get a lot of ages. yeah well that is one thing I was gonna say we get a, a lot of elvish background here uh for one they thought Frangilla and Yen that is they were saying I thought all the elvish mages were dead and they're like well who taught us that to say so she was either wrong or refused to tell us neither surprising could say total bitch mm-hmm. um, i love to say it but we also get uh they are hiding in ruins that look exactly like eratusa and these buildings were actually built by the elves we learned this back in um, season one, when Yen was talking to her boy toy, which I cannot remember his uh, name. Istrid. Right now. Istrid. 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 Yes, correct. Thank you. Um, he taught her, hey, these were built by elves. So that's why they all look the same. I love the connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, they even say that the elves burned their own cities down rather than let the humans have them as they were getting chased away. So they are rare and like nobody's been there. Yeah. And then they also say that the elves don't. There's, there hasn't been. It might be a little bit later, but another in in regards to the elf culture and stuff. There's no more pure elves that have been born in decades, so that's just something to keep in the back of your mind. And that was important, I think, in the Phil Evangel stuff in season one. How like yes. elves are so hunted all the time by humans who are just like a tumor that keeps on growing and stuff like that. So that's why some elves hate the humans because they keep growing and taking all the resources. And elves live long fucking lives and don't reproduce like them. So that's so- a problem. I, I don't know if you remember, but in season one, when we do have this scene, do you remember the young, sick elf? She was kicking and beating Geralt, saying, hey, let's go fight the humans. Yes, yeah. So they, she has a line there when she says, there are others of us, young elves, a new generation who want to go out and fight. That's huge because like, the lineage of how elves work is they live super long lives, like hundreds of years, maybe more. But they're not immortal because they can be stabbed and killed and they can't reproduce after like a normal human lifetime. So like after like a hundred years or something like that, they're, they can't have kids anymore. So this younger generation of elves who went out to fight, they died fighting. And now the elves are fucked because they're like, all right, we like don't, we barely have anybody that can reproduce. We're all a bunch of old heads. All of our youngins just died. Sperm and- the dust. The remaining youngins are still out there fighting. I forget what their name of their faction is. I'm sure Scott, that'll be Scotia. Scotel, Scotelli yeah. or something like that. That'll probably be introduced to some Nova Scotia. Uh, so hasty, these young elves. Oh, yeah. 
70 so year old elves so fucking hasty young and <laughs> <laughs> seriously that it what was something that was shocking to me was yen saying that she, when yen was getting into her being half elf and then in her in her dream where she Quarter has her life yeah okay Quarter. yeah where she has that life with uh Geralt, and then they have the baby that she has has the like wing tipped ears which I mean, Phil Evangel looks at her, or I'm sorry, Francesca, like when she says, I'm part elf or whatever, and she's like, looks at her ears, it's like, fuck off, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Do you sing our songs? Do you, you say you our prayers? cried for elven blood? Yeah, exactly. And that is the name of book one. Yeah, true. Blood, oh, wait, does she blood say elven yeah. blood, blood? Blood of elves. She says elven blood. Oh, okay, blood never mind. Elves. Yeah. Almost. Blood of elves <laughs> is said, I think, in episode two. Uh, I thought so. It- it's it's when the old witch lady who's given him these visions, she says, like, blood of elves will be spilled. Mm, let's, um, let's get there then. So we have, um, like Kyle alluded to, that Yen and Frangilla, t- they tell Phil that they're having these dreams of robed ones. Yeah, I'm calling him Phil. Can I call you Phil? <laughs> yeah, can I call you Phil? <laughs> it's in my notes, Phil. So that's just what I was reading at. But um, they, they tell Phil about their dreams of the robed ones, but they're different colors than what uh, Francesca was seeing. And he's almost about to let him go, but then something happens. But either way, the word gets to Francesca that they have these dreams. So she brings him in to discuss the dreams. And specifically, uh, the elf queen, uh, elf queen, Francesca sees in her dreams, uh, elf bodies stacked high. However, Ithlene guides her to essentially to this perfect elf kingdom. That was the first dream. Second one is Frangilla sees a mere killing a usurper or the usurper and saving her life. We don't get yens, but those two dreams off the bat, what do we think of them? I think if lean is a very interesting topic, we can talk about a little bit, but what do we think of the dreams? Anybody? I just, I mean, like you said, it was so obvious that yen didn't say what hers yeah. was because yeah. it's yeah. like, all right, we're going to share. And then yen's like, ah, oh, what's going on on this table right <laughs> yeah. here? Like, it's a little dusty. Let me yeah. get this dust off. I was like, look at her get away with it because she's hot. yeah it's totally what Uh, it was they mention i don't know paul and dave tell me if we should even talk about this yet because twice in this episode they mentioned the conjunction of the spheres and does what what did they tell us because Um, the most information is right here is it because i think it's isn't it the first mention actually from novellan or is it later no no it's it's between i think it's between siri and and, over the leshy arm yes yes you know there's no more leshy because they came here basically they can't reproduce any leshy that you see was from the conjunction of the spheres and they lean into it it seems like they're leaning into it pretty heavy in the show this early on so it's not crazy to talk about um like we even have as they're going through the ruins they're looking at the murals on the wall and fringilla does say you know oh we see chaos like the ruins of chaos and then we also see the conjunction of the spheres where you know then, where where realms collide and there's pictures yeah, yeah okay yeah mm-hmm. she and she mentions the arrival of the monsters the elves keep talking about how this is our land i don't mm-hmm. know if like they're supposed to like my way i took it was that whatever the conjunction is is somewhat similar to the big bang and then these quote i guess they call them realms kind of overlap it seems like where the world that they're on now was the elven one mm-hmm. and then because of the conjunction all these other beings came to it but it humans, also i think that includes humans yeah that yeah, includes humans so. Yeah, and the monsters that's just like the origin story of this world essentially i think it's it's either Geralt or vesemir says later that like 
this world wasn't meant for anyone or like mm-hmm. something this like continent, that. This continent yeah. wasn't meant for anyone. That's the last just, scene. Yeah, which is an interesting little wrench that was thrown into what was going into my head. So, I mean, I, it seems nice that they're sprinkling this breadcrumb because obviously, as someone who doesn't know, I'm very interested. It's to just cool off. to know that there is an origin of or some sort of explanation of why monsters exist. At the end of what Frangilla was saying, she was saying, you know, when realms collided, it's survivors lost and forsaken in a new world. That's where the elves had the line, you know, new to you, it was ours. Mm-hmm. So exa- you have it exactly right, Kyle. And then, so if we want to move on, uh, like we, like they were just talking about, uh, Frangilla or sorry, Yennefer wipes the dust off the tomb. It somehow activates some hidden passageway. The three, uh, mages go down and this is where they see all the images that we were just talking about. And then they all of a sudden arrive at this hut with no doors that they were told about. I don't remember when in this episode, it was just prophesied by Frangilla. Uh, hmm. Yeah. She like mentions of something about her dad telling her a story when she was younger oh, that's about right. it. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Fringilla when they were at the tomb, and it was a hut built on the legs of basilisks, mm-hmm. which is cool because you know when Francesca does, they come up to this doorless hut, and when she does the incantation, it literally looks like it stands up and turns around. You didn't mm-hmm. see anything, mm-hmm. but I was like, "Is it on basilisk legs? Are we gonna <laughs> see that eventually?" Is that a thing? Is this a house on wheels? And to go off of episodes one title, it was Grain of Truth. I think that was a nod to in all these childhood stories that you hear, in all of like the fairy tales that supposedly were long ago, maybe didn't exist. Mm-hmm. There is a small grain of truth in them. Yeah. That was the first I think that was at the first chapter of Blood of Elves too, a grain of truth. It was a chapter in that book. I know that for a fact. Uh, yeah, I'd have to look it up. Um, but yeah, so as they arrive at the house, something happens and then that puts them into this like some sort of spell where they're inside the hut now and they're crazy, each, dude. Each of the three of them are having their own vision. And Frangilla's and Yennefer's were a little bit more dark, and Francesca seems Francesca's vision seemed to be more like she was more accepting of it. Like she knew that something like she knew that this was going to happen and she was going to see. So was Francesca. It felt like only Yennefer was really rejecting the vision. You think Frangilla was kind of, I guess, I guess what I was saying was that Francesca kind of more or less knew that this was going to happen where Mm -hmm. Frangilla at first was questioning it and then was kind of being fed into like the idea of the dream and everything. But I didn't really have like great notes for this. If Paul, if you want to get me neither, dude, I didn't really know what was going on. I have as well, I have a little bit, but my first line is this hut scene is insane. I don't even know what happened, so I can't even explain it. Like, it was just nuts. But to go off of what I think why they reacted like that, Francesca had the line earlier like, I have the visions of the one in white. I'm the one that's going to save our people. I think when she actually saw the, the lady in white, Ithilin, um, she was relieved because she was like, all right, now you're going to have the answers. And it kind of seemed like all three were having the visions of an elder or somebody they looked up to or wanted the approval of or wanted guidance from because, you know, Francesca had, if Lynn, like we said, Frangilla had King Emir, who, who we saw for the first time look great in his armor, by the way. I just want to point that yeah. out, but go ahead, Paul. She said he was, you know, hooded. He had his uh, helmet on so she couldn't see his face. But yes, we did see uh emir popping in telling her what to do and her goal is basically to rebuild Nilfgaard and get those numbers up um Mm -hmm. and then uh 
freaking Yen is just a young to say it, just ripping into her, bringing up, you know, calling her piglet again, reminiscent <laughs> of season one and going and telling her, dude, like you could have forwarded away. You haven't been cuffed in forever. Why didn't you? Oh, wait, let's go back, do this most basic spell, lift this rock by killing this flower. And she couldn't do it. She mm-hmm. was like, you're, you're cut off ever since the uh, battle of Sodden. And like you're screwed, chaos won't communicate with you. It's your own fault for using fire magic. Yes, like, you will Holy never be shit, accepted dude. again. I can't believe they dropped that information this early in the series, but fuck yeah, like that's that's crazy. So Kyle, like her touching the fire magic and doing that explosion of power, I guess it's pretty damn equivalent to the wheel of time. Uh, remember what the fuck's the city called that she like does the, she pulls all the power and explodes the queen oh manetherin manetherin like it's similar to that without the death like she basically just like pulled in all the fucking power you're not supposed to touch fire magic and i just am so happy that like they they dropped that line the way that they did one thing i want to just ask here is were these visions negative things like they were f- like it seemed like it was like a being almost that could just take on these forms and it was just feeding them into like a dark path it sounded like to me like because when we was talking to francesca whatever like if lean quote unquote, if that was if lean whatever was saying like you know the elves are going to be extinct if you don't start killing more humans and then for frangilla she was like the vision was amir was telling her like you need to gain more power like you're not strong enough and then same thing for yennefer like she was being told these kind of like not good thoughts i guess so. well frangilla was getting some pretty hard-hitting advice from yeah Emir, which was like, do you want salvation? Then you are bringing back the wrong elf. And that was laying the groundwork for future. Meaning Yen, she's with uh, Yen, the quarter elf. Going to go on to say Yen's goal. Like that we were talking about their goals. Yen was like, I just want this mess to end. Like I just mm-hmm. kind of want to like live and not have to run or fight. My question is regarding if lean, like I don't remember her being a big character in the books. What do we think her deal is? She does do the prophecies in the books. And this she figure God? says this line, which is supposed to be like a end of the world kind of prophecy. She says, uh, they're told that the world will die in frost, but the earth will flow with the blood of elves. So that's where it actually says blood of elves okay. is from a Lithine's like Francesca's vision, I think. Okay. Or maybe all I, maybe that's the one where they're all three of them are getting it simultaneously because the fucking cinematography was everywhere. Like it was so hard. It felt like like the dream sequences from Wheel of Time on crack. Yeah, because yeah. they're all mer- like the being was like doing like it was bobbing all the heads out. You know what I mean? Like it was so. I weird. think she was she was being she was giving visions to all three of the mages. Oh, okay. Yeah, like at the same time. Yeah, so oh, she was okay. like going back and forth. And to go on, I think it was you know this old lady that. Like it looks like I can only assume is a witch because going off Frangilla's story, she said, you know, there was a witch that lived in the woods with no hut, um, that lord children or lord poor souls that walked through her forest, um, and like basically kidnapped them. So mm-hmm. I think that's what she's doing. She's like, I don't know what she wants exactly. It seems I like mean, she I'm, wants them to bring something. It seemed like they have a a line that's something about wanting their desperation seems like it almost is feeding off how bad they want these goals because it kind of shows them in their in these dreams what they actually want you know like francesca wants to bring back elvish power she wants to have more elves frangilla wants to be emperor yen wants to i don't know to i think, not she, just, be. I think she, <laughs> she wants to have more self-worth like i think even though yeah. she is actually strong i don't think she'll ever be able to view herself 
at least yeah. for a little bit as like someone who is worthy of just you know it, anything it does say power i think i, mm, I think she yeah. mentions the word power but i mean this look is... at her background she was fucked up like you know she i think she's that still haunts her and istrid really like fucked her up too with cheating like cheating her out and just selling her to um Stregobor. but yeah i mean that that was her goal in season one when she was trying to like absorb that gin that genie and Geralt was like what are you doing what do you even want she says i want everything basically like uh, i was given shit hand of cards in the beginning of my life now i just want power and everything and i just want to basically be the best this is where we get kind of the I mean, it's explicitly stated that she can't use the chaos, right? Yeah. yeah. Yes. They were they were saying, you know, you're cut off. What are you going to do? Like, oh, I thought chaos was like your life. That's all you yearn for is more power. And, and she was you can't gentle. Touch it now. She was <laughs> no, still, she was still. She was still. The female still. Version. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, we want to wrap this up. Let's put a pin in this because we'll pick up in the parallel scene at the very end of the episode where it's kind of both the conclusion for Geralt and Yennefer, but. The last thing is just okay. that Yennefer finds out from Frangilla that Nilfgaard. the Nilfgaard and the elves are going to full squad up and tear Crazy. shit up. Easy. That's just like a, such a powerhouse army. You got Nilfgaard, who's already just a powerhouse in terms of just like, I guess, quote unquote, warriors. And then now you have elves who are a little bit magical and they know have, the land. Yeah, they, they got know the, the land. So that advantage. just like is this is definitely nearing the ends yeah. of things. Um, so that'll be good for uh, the Yennefer arc and that whole group of mages. Now we can get into Geralt and Ciri. Which I really enjoyed. I love this. They arrive at Kara Morin. We just find- pause. Yeah, what okay. did you think, Kyle? Kara yeah, Morin, okay, okay. the fucking the home of the Witchers, like landscape shots, just the castle itself. It was like a beaten down castle because obviously the fall of Kara Morin happened. Like, what were your initial impressions of this castle? Yeah, I I like the shot of them turning the corner. Just mm-hmm. it looks really imposing. It feels like a place that if you stumbled upon it, you probably wouldn't go check it out unless you're a little mm-hmm. crazy. I was a little shocked later when like they get some some whores in there. It just seemed like like they said they kind of went down the road, and I was like, "Where the fuck is down the road?" <laughs> I was very shocked as well when I saw that. I was not too happy. I was totally on Carol's side here. I hated Eskel so much. I was I was glad to get him out of the way. Yeah, but I'm excited to to kind of explore more about it. Obviously, it seems like. I guess it's hard to say, obviously, because I don't even fucking know what's going on, but we're kind of hunkering down here for the winter. I thought that was an interesting thing where everyone yeah. kind of makes that pilgrimage back to Cat Warren. Yeah, I like that's that. completely new too. Mm-hmm. That's just not a thing, but it's cool that they make it here because they do bring, you know, all the witchers back. What do you, Kyle? All what do you the think witchers. About? That's questionable because uh, uh, Geralt says that he thinks that there are 20 witchers alive probably that's, less that's what i was going to say to kyle is what what did you think when you heard that number maybe yes. 20 witchers last time Geralt heard but highly high chance that some of them died by now i think it's reasonable that some of them have died especially after watching the episodes at first if i'm honest the number was kind of just an abstract number the first thing was like like these guys don't seem like witchers when they stand next to Geralt. Because I guess Henry Cavill is just such a specimen of a human being that I was just like, like, it makes sense that a lot of these guys go out there and die because 
Geralt is just like an absolute savage. Like he, they just yes. kind of look like boys almost next to him. Yeah, it's very true. And I guess I mean you can't go out and just get a bunch of fucking bodybuilders to just throw in and, and act through these scenes. Although it would have been kind of funny. But yeah, they did say in season one that I think Geralt went through extra special trials, which is what turned his hair white. So like he's got a little bit more oomph, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the other guys are still well, he's, magic yeah, he's users. Got a little bit more oomph. Yeah, well, fuck <laughs> yeah, of course. But the other guys are still magic users. They have all the monster knowledge, so they're still like top tier fighters. Yeah, I, I, I think a lot of it is based off of season one. It seems more of like brute force because they do have so many. Like, it's, I mean, the opening scene when he's, a, what is he, the butcher of Blaviken? Uh, yeah. Blaviken, yeah. It just seems like it's all kind of brute force. I was a little shocked the episode one magic when he's like with the force field and he can like stop the the scream and stuff. That mm-hmm. to me came out a little, a left field, not in a bad way, but I guess it does make sense that they have more than just physical strength in sword fighting. When he does that push or like air force mm-hmm. push, they, they call it Ard. That's the other one. Is that like, <laughs> is there uh, some type of inspiration behind that language? Is that like, I Polish? mean, that's, I think uh, it's, um, I bl- yeah, I think it's Polish because that's what uh, the main author is Polish. So it would stop. His Step- name's hard to pronounce. Sep- Stepkowski. Stepkowski. Yeah. Uh, was here- Andre of Sankowski or something yeah. like that, which yeah. they, he viewed this, he viewed season two and, you know, gave, gave high marks he was like i enjoyed watching it it was an epic adventure like hoping for more and he's notoriously a grumpy old man he's not gonna give a bad review yeah he doesn't consider any of the games can and he's like anything that's not my books don't count like yeah but you know i'm sure he did enjoy it in a sense i heard his favorite podcast has been shown tv (laughs) that's true (laughs) you can't even pronounce his name right i don't think that's (laughs) true (laughs) so getting introduced to all the other witchers drinking um lambert uh, we get introduced to him, which he first gets called Lamb Chop. I love that. Mm-hmm. They do the classic, like, stare down after not seeing each other for a long time and then bro hugging it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we also get introduced to Vesemir. Uh, as, that as was we like, saying, a, like a name drop where I was – I didn't. I haven't watched Nightmare of the Wolf, which is probably bad for me to be on the podcast. But uh, that was definitely – obviously, I know the, the a little bit of the weight behind that name. So. Mm-hmm. He called it out at the end of season one when he was got that ghoul bite and was tripping on hallucinogens. She was saying like Vesemir, like you know, guide me and all this other shit. I love um, series introduction here when she's just like Eskel. She laughs at like a joke being made at Eskel, and Eskel mm-hmm. like look goes up to her and is like, "Who the fuck are you?" And she's just like she sips the drink, puts it down, is like, "I'm Princess Cirilla from Calanth or from Sintra." Uh, Sintra, oh, nice man. to meet you. Dude, My I shop. wrote that same line down. It's just that she, dude, I thought the delivery from Freya Allen was so good there. She just didn't give a fuck. She, this is, this is going to sound terrible out of context, but she like aged up in like a great way for the show, like yeah, to yeah, be yeah. able to now like portray be an a older player series. that can hold a sword and shit. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you could just tell she looks so much older. And I think she's going to be a great series. I was a little worried from season one because I thought she was super, super young, but it looks like, you know, real world aging and stuff like that. And obviously they're going to help her out with little swords and stuff. It's going to be really fun. I I agree. Um, Season one, I was a little concerned, but just the interactions between her and Carol, the few that they've had already from season two and her, the way she just holds herself. Like, yeah, I I wrote that down too. I was like, Siri whipped her balls out and said, (laughs) princess Cirillo Cintra, pleasure to meet you. Like, so good so cool what a beast and 
the, I just got chills at the last the last scene of this episode. I'll wait to say anything yeah. before we get there. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. Eskel is just so obviously a muppet, dude. He comes in with just an absolute attitude, and he just stinks from the moment he walks in. Yeah, <sighs> I uh, so upset. Yeah, that I think is completely made up. Like I don't so, think Eskel's Eskel's Eskel not supposed is, to be. Eskel is a mainstay Witcher. Eskel is yeah. Eskel Lambert and Geralt are our boys, and it's yeah. just like. What are you doing to my boy Eskel? I've been uh, in the game. I've been on so many missions with you, <laughs> killing all these monsters with you. Like, wow! Oh, yeah, oh my that God. was surprising to me too. I actually I kind of liked it though a little bit. It was interesting. It was a good take. I thought personally. I mean, I didn't see it coming. I'll give yeah. him that. Actually, that's a lie. This was spoiled for me. Going, I did read oh, really? that one of the. Uh, I, I read like a few months ago that one of the main witchers actually ends up dying, and um, so I kind of saw sucks. this coming, and it, I mean it helped cushion the blow because I was very upset. Yeah. But yeah, like I was saying, he whips out the leshy arm and drops it down. It's terrifying. Could you imagine like fighting something like that, and then you yeah. actually get to see it later on? I I just think the monsters. The way that Netflix is portraying them, they're doing a great job. It's. I feel like we've already seen more monsters up through, what is this now, 10 total episodes than the entire Witcher series, seven books. Yeah. Dude, there's no. like there's wow. like no monsters in the books. I mean, and once you get past the first two like sequel prequel books, like there's no monsters. It's not that, about monsters at all. It's not about like Geralt using his elixirs and powers. It's It's so just about relationships living in this world it's like it's and so politics it's, and politics that's that's the which is the part that i love like all of the mage politics stuff that stuff is what really drew me to the series it had nothing to do with like the monsters which which is awesome to see visually but in the books probably wouldn't have even read as well but that's why it's amazing they're throwing so much so much cgi money on these on the bruxa and on what is this the leshy 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 yeah dude it just looked incredible when Eskel rolls out and like after Geralt mm-hmm. realizes it's Eskel and he just like extends like that was amazing looking after the reunion. Uh, we got a quick shot of Vesemir and Geralt just talking about the fact that Vesemir had told Geralt not to bring her here just because he didn't know. Neither of them knew about, you know, what she was going to be, what her what her powers were. It's kind of like just a mystery to all of them and that this might not have been the best decision. Then we How get about a- Geralt? How about Geralt on the stilts just training? Just oh, taking yeah. it. Yes. Yeah. So good, man. He looks great. Jumps down, starts fucking them all up with the sword. That's too. a man of steel right there, if you get what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so then Garrett, we get our next shot is of Geralt dissecting the Leshy while Siri's kind of probing about what her purpose is at Kyramore. And she's asking, you know, what am I here to do? Like, am I here to study monsters? Am I here to train? And Geralt's like, no, you're not here to train because it's dangerous. But um, she's kind of, she's very got that. She's got a curious eye and she's really wanting to find a purpose, uh, for here. And then all of a sudden a noise is heard. I don't know if you guys want to talk about anything else there, but, um, oh, I'm just curious. Cause you mentioned when we talk about episode one of all the inspecting and shit, was this kind of game like, and that he's like looking and inspecting this leshy armor or, or no. <laughs> yeah, it, it was pretty cool. I mean, that's what you kind of are. You're a detective and you just get these clues. So this was I, I feel like this is more of him kind of learning and trying to find out more information like he was doing a full-up biopsy but i absolutely I, like i had the feeling like i was in the game again like you like you were just saying like 
just getting a part of the beast and just figuring out a little bit more and just learning, getting it in your your uh, your catalog. You have a whole catalog of all the monsters you come across, their names and their backstories and their weaknesses and shit like that. And this felt exactly like I loved everything about Caraborn. That's it's, cool. Where the conjunction gets name dropped again is the biopsy part, I think. But this, yeah, like we said, yeah. the leshies, every leshy that you see has been around since the conjunction. Mm-hmm. And let's yeah. skip ahead here a little bit because all it really is is Siri exploring around. Like the party started. We already kind of mentioned yeah. that. Gerald and Nesk will have their interaction. They did have that uh, the one line, though, which I thought was important to bring up while we are in this room. Siri says, you know, I want to train because I want to kill the, the Black Knight, the one that's mm-hmm. haunted me. And Geralt, you know, gets very serious and says, you know, this is important. We don't kill out of fear. We kill to save lives. Like, do you understand? Fuck that. Set your convictions. Let's go. <laughs> they, they do <laughs> Arya Stark in training. They do seem to be setting up, like, really kind of going out of their way almost to characterize Siri and showing you the things that she's going to have to learn. And they, or actually, more honestly, unlearn a little bit about the world and what it's going to be like and what her future is going to be. I feel like they're kind of planting these seeds for her and Geralt to constantly be kind of bashing heads throughout this training process. We we had a great line right after that where uh, Siri asked, well, how did you spend your first days when you came here? He goes, I was beaten and starved <laughs> straight out of Nightmare of the Wolf. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Got to go back and watch it if you have. Yeah, Kyle, you should watch that. That's one. Point. Yeah, because the one thing I also want to mention here is we also get a quick shot of Vesemir talking to Siri mano e mano. And we got a cool mention of Deglin and how Deglin used to be Fuck Vesemir's yeah. master, uh, like Geralt's Siri kind of person, you know, trainer of uh, Vesemir. So that was really Mentor. cool. Yeah, we got a cool shot of his armor, um, and he admits to her that he's just like a little bit wary of her presence and what it brings for uh, Kyra Morin. This scene with the party that we, we talked about, Garrow walks down and is like, what the hell's going on? Vesemir is totally cool with all these chicks being in here. Which I was like, dude, what are you doing? On, he moved on past that phase, man. Like, I agree with you. I think he, he was at the beginning of Nightmare of the Wolf was on that level. But after what he had experienced, I don't think he should have allowed this kind of stuff. But Geralt's yeah, just Eskel. Geralt's a total dad coming in. Just be like, dude, yeah. release <laughs> all of your pain in any way you want. Just not here in our home yeah. and stuff like that. So Eskel is fucking this chick who has this weird branch coming out of her back, which we find out is the Leshy. No, it was out of his, his back. back. Oh, his back. That's so, why he sorry. was so touchy when Geralt touched him because he's covering up the the branch that's in his oh, shoulder that fucked him up yeah, yeah yeah i didn't even think about that okay honestly um, that yeah. scene where you see his wound like it made me like itchy i don't know why it made me very uncomfortable it <laughs> like i guess the makeup was good it just looked very painful and it oh, like yeah. moving and growing it just for some reason i just got like hot and itchy like you have a parasite like in your skin underneath or something like that yeah i was not just, a fan of that and it just grows to absurd sizes like Dude, that would just be terrible how about that line by that chick though you took on that that wood monster let me take on yours yes is that paul sexiest scene that's gotta be yeah could be i want to save my sexy scene for a real good sexy scene love that but yeah then we get the the great battle between uh the leshy who looked like we mentioned incredible just the combination of makeup and uh cgi and how you could see you could still see eskel as like a human a little bit but just the trees branching out of him like doc ock was just incredible too and 
we just get a really good fight here. And Vesmir comes to uh, Geralt's rescue. And unfortunately, uh, Vesmir is about to die. And in order to save him, Geralt has to take the life of his friend, Eskel. And he does the cool lighting of the blade that Luke says and stabs him right in the side. And I'm sure that just incinerated his inside. So he was just dead immediately. But really emotional. Did not expect this. A lot to unpack for this whole Lashy fight and the five seconds leading up to it, because one of my like low key favorite things about the Witcher world is just that the pendants that they have. Is that what their term is called? The pendant medallions, the medallions that they have. Nice. I was writing it as medallions. So there you Witch go. Medallion. They just, anytime that there's magic or monsters or anything like it, they start ringing. And when the Lashy broke up, like he, he broke out in the other room all of the witchers are partying. They all just like freaking just stop. And that was like such a cool moment because like they're all like, all right, it's fucking game time. And then instantly, this is one of my favorite parts too, is Geralt's like, uh, he's talking to Vesemir. He's like, grab grab the boys. Let's go deal with this. I'm going to go find Siri. And then he goes, no, we need you to do what you do best. You go fight. We'll find Siri because he knows. And that speaks to what you were saying, Kyle. I, I think they pretty much all know like Geralt's like the best. So you he's need him. You need him in the main fight. Like, let Lambert go find Siri, which he does. I would have felt so safe, though, in Caramorn with a bunch of witches. Like, as soon as the medallion started ringing, like, they were like, all right, I'm going to go check the perimeter. I'm going to go secure the guests. I'm going to start searching. And, it, like, Bad I was ass. like, oh, my, everybody just put their business suits on and just went to work. Fuck, I totally forgot what I was going to say. It was a really good point. Oh, no, what I really like, <laughs> I got it, I got it. I recovered, saved it. Um, What I really like here is in, Episode one, we get the whole thing with Novellan and how he, you know, used to be a human, then became a beast. And we get Siri watching a, a, a monster that's not really a monster kind of die and get beheaded. And then we kind of get here the opposite of that, where we get a human who becomes a monster and his personality is very monstrous, monster esque. So she kind of has that dual sided perspective of this. And I think these events are really going to change her as a person going forward. So it was just really interesting getting in the first two episodes kind of two different perspectives on the the monster take that they were so that's, adamant about talking about. That's a really good uh, pickup. I never realized that juxtaposition, but it really mm-hmm. is. You know, monsters can be human-esque and humans can be monster-esque. Mm-hmm. Um, and to go off that, you know, when Garrel is attacked, he grabs the torch and he starts to burn him. And then all of a sudden he realizes, he sees the medallion and sees kind of Eskel's eyes and he knows it's Eskel. And just throws the torch away. So, like, he doesn't want to kill his friend. He's trying to, like, stall for time so they can figure it out. Vesemir's doing the same. And what makes Geralt the expert is just that, like, he's been around enough of these situations where even though that was his boy, that was all, like, who was possessed and everything. Like, when it came down to it, he had to make a decision. And the only way, the only thing he could do in that moment was to kill him and you know, it was I'm Vesemir sure, or Eskel. Yes, yeah, and I'm sure he has his doubts, but Geralt, we've seen, is kind of like a rock when it comes to emotions. So I'm sure he's just going to bury this again deep inside of himself and not talk about it with anybody, and that might cause some issues going well, forward. No, he doesn't bury emotions. He has no emotions. Yeah, he just has none. Yeah. Because just, yeah. witchers Barely don't any. have emotions. They can remember what it feels like to have emotions, right. which just allows them to like showcase emotions, but they don't actually feel anything. Mm-hmm. So that Gee. makes them be better at decision making like that to go back to episode one when Neville and Geralt are talking they, he brings up Yennefer and she's the one that changed Geralt and Niv is like all right well where is she and she was like oh yeah she died like days ago 
he's like, how are you not heartbroken? Who says I'm not? Like, yeah. I, <laughs> he just it looks normal. But it, the, the cool thing about the books is you kind of get his thoughts and his thought process. You don't really get that here. And it, it's easy to see more of like an emotional side of him from his thoughts that he doesn't, you know, express. A lot of the times, Kyle, in the books, like when he is supposed to feel emotions based on just like a normal human being in a situation, like other characters be like, what, like, what's your deal, man? He's like, I'm, what, am I supposed to like act like this? Like, I, I don't feel this. I'm not normal. Like <laughs> well, he says that sometimes. Yeah. This is where they had the sickest camera angle where Geralt is fighting uh, Eskel and he rolls over the table and the camera rolls with him so he never like goes upside down the world just goes upside yeah. down as he does the role it's phenomenal i love everything they're doing my biggest regret of this final scene is that we didn't get more of vesemir and Geralt at the same time because when they're just tag team in the branches and just like swinging around each other it felt so moraine and land for yeah. a second like i was like this is fucking lit but yeah, we didn't get a lot back. of it yeah like Vesemir steps to swing this way and he's open on his back left. Mm -hmm. So Geralt like swings and covers his back left. It's just so fluid. And to go, Kyle, what you were saying earlier, earlier, it seems very fluid. That is what Henry Cavill wanted. And that is what the Witcher's fighting style is supposed to be. It's supposed to be like a dance, like a, a dance move. It's supposed to be a fluid turn. Um, the word pirouette is thrown around so many times in the books. I think that's a product of the English translation, but I, either way, it is supposed to be like a sequence of dance moves back and forth, and it looks so good in the show. I don't know how they did it, or but give that guy a raise. Give that's the choreographer the, like a that's raise. how epic the end of episode one of season one was. Like it was just the best fight scene ever because it felt so fluid. How he was murdering all the fucking idiots. Mm -hmm. It just is so good. And the chains in this scene, they're throwing chains with the hooks back and forth, hooking them. They're trying to buy time, but yeah. it just doesn't work. All there right, was a really so nice – I'm else? sorry to interrupt you, but no. there's like a – it was one of the most satisfying, I guess. I believe it's called a, a Chekhov's gun. You know, we, we, uh, we, we're a TV guy, so we're trying mm -hmm. to examine this from that perspective. And like early in the episode, uh, Vesemir has where he's like – Oh, it took you six hours to remember that, you know, whatever, like a fire through the heart is what takes down a leshy. And then, you know, 30 minutes later, we get the payoff of that, which is just mm -hmm. also speaking of him lighting the sword on fire, straight up Beric Dondarrion. It's the first thing I thought of. Oh, I was like, look true. at this guy, yeah. the Lord of the Light out here. Lord of the Light. Just another thing that I just was shocked that he could do. I didn't know that that was a thing. So that was in a good way. It was just. Like, I was thinking that he threw the torch away. was like, well, what the fuck are we doing now with fire? And then he did that. I was like, that's what we're doing with fire. Magic isn't <laughs> like, it is hard to come by, but it's not like if you do have it, it's not like there's a lot of limitations. Like, I mean, the fire is definitely a big thing, but they're pretty flexible with what they can do, I would say. But it's and, not a huge output of power. Right. It's like correct. they're not mages. Yes, they're witchers who have, and mages look down on the way witchers use magic because they think it's so like, uh, primitive primitive that's yeah. the exact word i was looking for they're like Elitist. dude you're you're calling this magic like you witchers are calling what they do magic when really it's just part they're of doing tricks. like a hand sign that's it and like it's like push <laughs> yeah, yeah. when they're like dude push. yeah you're calling that shit magic when it's literally just the beginning of the iceberg one um, thing i want to make my last comment on is i really i i noticed it at the very end of this episode is that Geralt is still calling Siri Cirilla, and I'm waiting for the moment when he's just like, Siri, 
because that'll just show that like the bond is finally there i think but it was just so weird because when he said cirilla i was like that just doesn't sound so mm-hmm. wrong to me because he's so used to saying it like he says siri in the books for a while uh <laughs> so so they so vesemir does the whole traditional rip the medallion off the dead witcher's body and hang it on the tree with all the other past witchers and then we have this really cool i i really enjoyed this last part like i got i was looking at myself on the rewatch just looking at my arms getting chills at it but there, it's like the double parallel scene of both yennefer the rain's coming down she's starting to mm-hmm. have this she's starting to have to face the idea that she doesn't have magic so she's running through the forest and screaming while it's kind of matching up with what Geralt's saying and teaching teary teary siri cirilla uh, she's he's starting to gear her up to basically start training her, right? And he's just starting to walk through the motions and and describe some of the Witcher codes to her. And like Siri doesn't know what's going on at the beginning, and then she gets it by the end, and she just instantly, without question, starts practicing the movements and stuff. And I just thought it was so fucking awesome because I've been waiting for this moment when Siri starts to train since I touched the books and I knew that this was a possibility. Like. This is going to be so fun to watch her grow and like become a badass and just Geralt being the, the teacher like it's our in Caramorn like this is just the epic level shit that Witcher fans have been waiting for. I was getting goosebumps when Siri is exactly what you're saying just right behind Geralt mirroring his moves and he's going through a short little sequence and you know then he steps off she does it by herself he's watching and he'll give her tips and I was this is perfect. I'm ready. I, I'm so ready for the next few episodes. Mm-hmm. And and the the quotes. This is like I'm sure this was Henry Cavill saying. I'm saying this from the <laughs> books. I don't care what you're saying. He's going around saying, you know, uh, the world is changing. Nowhere is safe now. Like you can't run from the world. You can't hide from it. But you can find power and purpose and a chance to survive the horror. And then you just. This continent was meant for no one. All you have to do is keep your sword close and keep moving. So good. I love them. I cannot wait for the rest of the season. That honestly feels like end of book shit. (laughs) Like it really feels like that would be the end of a book. That's the start of the books. Like the main (laughs) book series. (laughs) That's pretty funny because I, yeah, I I mean, obviously recency bias is a thing, but this has got to be probably one of my favorite scenes of all 10 episodes including the eight from season one obviously in that it's just really nice i I, the note that i wrote down was just wow this is just a really really nice moment Mm -hmm. that's awesome that's awesome that you got that even though you didn't know it was coming you weren't looking forward to it but you still felt oh that's a cute little bond connection yeah i they you could i feel like they put a lot of effort into showing what it's what it means especially because when i had mentioned that they're kind of setting up these obstacles that Siri and Geralt are going to have to get over in, in her mindset about things. Mm-hmm. So kind of getting the beginning of that, I think it's going to be a fun ride. I'm just so aware that there will be a day in my life when we get, when the Witcher content stops and we will never get another Henry Cavill scene. And I'm just, just living <sighs> in the moment right now where I am just so happy, like just seeing my man who I know behind the scenes loves this role so much more than I do. And I love the role. And it's just, it makes me so happy getting anytime, anytime he's on the screen. It was a perfect casting. Absolutely. So what do you want to real quickly? Do you want to just go around and give our ratings for the first two episodes? Like I could just go really quickly. I know what I'm going to say. I'm going to give episode one uh, an eight out of 10. I really liked it. Just Nivellin, whatever his name is. I thought he was really well portrayed in the 
well, he was differently portrayed than in the books, but I liked his portrayal here. Um, just re getting introduced to the Witcher world. So I thought that deserved a, an eight out of 10 for me. And I'll go a little bit lower for the second episode, to be honest. I'll give it a seven out of 10 for the second episode. Nothing too crazy happened in the second. Well, I mean, Eskel becoming a monster was pretty wild, but I didn't really like hit that hard for me. So I'll give it a seven out of 10. There were, there were some low moments of these episodes that a lot of information, it's hard to follow if you don't have like the book canon stuff. Um, so I'll, I'll stick with like a seven and a half for both of them, but there were 10 out of 10 moments in both episodes that stick out in my mind that make this show just like, this is what I'm here for. There's going to be a lot of low moments and a lot of moments that are like season one where it's kind of confusing, a lot of information. Some of it might not be satisfying because that's kind of how the books were. But then there's just absolute banger of moments just like how we ended this episode. And so seven and a half, seven and a half, really above average. I'm loving it so far. All right. I, uh, I'm going to say for the first one, um, I, it's hard because it's exactly like Luke was saying. Like there, there are certain scenes and moments like the witchering scenes in these two episodes, like 10 out of 10. I thought they were phenomenal. Amazing. I'm going to give it, I'm going to give the first one a seven and a half. And I'll give the second one. I'll give it an eight just because of the amazing choreography, even though I didn't love every decision that was made in that episode. So this is interesting because I am going to give, I think the first episode was a solid eight. I think the second one was a solid eight and a half. Mm -hmm. Um, I really liked these episodes. I thought, uh, I mean, the first thing after I watched both of them, the first sentence that I wrote down was that this is such an impressive improvement over Mm -hmm. season one. Uh, everything just feels different in a better way and just more cohesive. And I just, you can feel the plot threads being established, but also getting payoffs along the way in like a much more concrete way. It feels just feels better to like be rewarded by paying attention and like getting invested in the relationships between characters. So I've just, yeah, I mean, we talked about the choreography. It was absolute fire. The way that they did all of the, like the editing for the dream sequences too. So there's a lot of dream sequences in, in wheel of time, but the difference between wheel of time is that you're kind of like actually in the dream, like interacting with people versus it felt like in Witcher is more like a combo Visions. of like a vision and a dream where like things are a little bit more outlandish and like the movements and the way that they were fading, like the different vision guides into each other while we're flipping between Yen, Francesca, Frangilla. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I have no complaints, but obviously I have my virgin Witcher mind. Yeah. yeah and that's for what, what it's worth, I also agree that if I have to make one of them higher, like 7.5, 7.6, I thought sec- I preferred the second episode. So it seems like Dave liked the first one better and the other us three liked the second one a little bit better. Um, and to play on what you were saying, Kyle, just really quickly is the first two books that were quote unquote released for uh, The Witcher are just like kind of prequel books. And even those are written very clunkily as well. So it unfortunately was well reflected in that season one with how clunky it was but now that we're into like the official start of like siri and Geralt's story linear plot yeah we we, it will be way less clunky it'll just be like way more easier to grasp but i agree that season one was a little tough to understand from an outside perspective but we'll get consistency it gives me like obviously that's completely different teams and stories, but it gives me a lot of hope for Will of Time season two because I feel like they learned a little bit about how to shoot and tell the story in season one, and they came back and improved a lot of things in yes. season two. So I'm it makes me feel good about what's mm-hmm. happening with Wheel of Time, and hopefully, kind of similar improvements happen for. 
Season two. All right, let's do this BKM real quick and get the hashtag out of here. <laughs> All right. I was going to do I chuckled at that. <laughs> All right. So to end things here on the podcast, we're all, we're going to do a little BKM, a little bang, kill, marry. We're going to have three characters listed. The options are going to either bang, kill, or marry them, and they will have in-show consequences. So if you kill a person in, in this scenario, it'll affect the outcome of what's to happen in potentially in the show and whatever. So would any the options... Sorry, I was about to say, does anyone want to start without listing <laughs> the options? The options are Francesca... Tissaia and Yennefer, the three baddie mages, let's say. I can go oh, first. Okay, go ahead. Because <laughs> we were, I want to go first. Three were so ready to go. <laughs> we all probably have similar answers. <laughs> so I'm going to kill Tissaia. Wow. Okay. Um, only because I feel like she's a mean person, kind of. She's very attractive. I like her her mature look. But if we're doing in-world stuff... It just seems like I like the other two, what they're bringing to the table more. I'm going to bang Francesca because we can have that half elf child that restarts the elven race. I'll <laughs> knock her up on a one night stand, but then I'll, I'll kind of be known as the person that helped restart the elven race. <laughs> nice. And then this is a risky proposition. I'm going to marry Yen and so she's the hottest and I think it's a complete, it's a dice roll. I don't know anything about Geralt beyond what we've seen in He'll the show. Him. There's nothing that leads me to believe that he wouldn't be interested in a three-way marriage <laughs> between the three of us. So yeah. going off that level of knowledge, I would be willing to share Yen with Geralt. So that's why I'm going to marry. I'm going to roll that dice. And yeah. if he's going to kill me, he'll probably kill me clean because he knows his way around that sword. I'm just going to piggyback off of that. I'm also going to marry Geralt and Yen. <laughs> All three of us are going to be together. I will share. That's why I wanted to go first. <laughs> I will share Geralt with Yen, not the other way around. <laughs> um, now, I love Yennefer. I am so team Yen. You know, in the games, it's like a known thing that you can kind of pick your own storyline. And one of them is you can either pick Triss or you can pick Yen. I'm always picking Yen. She's the best. Marrying her. Um, I'm going to bang to Seiya just because she's got so much pent up emotions, I feel like. She says in season one, you know, Yen, me and you are very similar mages because we show our emotions on our sleeve. Um, she's got to release those emotions somewhere. She can release them on me. Um, and then I, I guess I just have to, you know, say fuck the elves and kill their queen because they're already hurting anyway. It's not like they're going to have enough power to come and hunt me Paul's, down. Paul's about to start a race war. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do the complete opposite thing that Paul just did right there because I'm going to actually marry Francesca because I'm going to be the human that brokers this peace. I'm bringing peace to the continent. And I won't also, be full-blooded elves, though. Just saying. What'd you say? Your babies won't be full. I don't care about. Elves. I don't care about re making more elves. I care about making <laughs> peace right now in my life. But I, I don't know what it is about Francesca's actor, but I am just completely smitten with her. I think she is <laughs> fucking beautiful. Doesn't hurt that I absolutely love her character in the books, and I was really curious to how she was going to look on screen. But I think she's so beautiful. 
Um, I'm going to marry her, make humans and elves good. No more fighting. That's going to save a lot of problems in the future. You'll find out about that, Kyle. And then I'm going to definitely bang Yennefer because are you fucking kidding me? Like how, like Kathleen would de-own me, disown me if I, if I killed Yen's titty. So I'm going to marry Yennefer. She's beautiful. And also I feel like Garrett won't mind. Yen gets around a little bit. He doesn't fucking go after all the exes and I'm going to kill to say, cause that seems to be like, I'll have the least repercussions. This is crazy. Are we? I think I'm about to do a little bit different. I don't know. Can we even have four different possibilities here? Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right. Quick I'm math, going yes. to kill Francesca. I will also start a race war like Paul. <laughs> and nice. I will bang Yen because I just I don't see myself fitting into a three way marriage with Ben <laughs> and Geralt. Like I am just an average human being with two above average human beings. Like no way. All right, so I'll bang her and then I will marry Tissaia because I personally love Tissaia. Um she's the head of Aratusa, man. I just she's a powerful wizard. I know Yen's got more potential, but I'll just I like Tissaia's personality a little bit more than Yen's personality. It's like really bad, but like I'll marry her. Not to say it's a great character from the books too. So yeah, I'll give you that. Yen's complicated, <laughs> but Yen, yeah. uh, she's got an attitude on her. But yes. if you can get along with her, it's totally worth it. So this was all something a little bit different, right, for each of us? Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. Oh wait, Kyle and Paul, you had the same answer, right? No, Mm-mm. they killed. No, I banged. I banged to say and, ah, and I'm the only one that married Francesca. Did you guys all kill Francesca? No. Uh, yes, okay. I did. Okay, destroy the elven. Damn, that was the most that was the most different we've ever yeah, had, probably. That was a good one. Low key, that turned into be a very good one. Good BKM, great two episodes of season two. I love this. I cannot wait for more. Uh, but that is going to do it for us for today. If you guys like what you heard, our podcast also covers Wheel of Time, Dexter, Midnight Mass, Rick and Morty, all different kinds of shows, but most importantly, a lot of really good stuff. Uh, if you want to toss a coin to your binge town, we have a Patreon uh, where <laughs> I came up with that myself. We have a Patreon uh, where you can become a binge town homie. Um, follow us on Instagram or Twitter and hit subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. Or the easiest way to do all of that is just check out our website at benchtowntv.com. And we are so excited to cover The Witcher. We are so happy to have you here along with us. So from everyone at Benchtown, thank you so much for listening. Mm. Make your peace. <laughs> You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 